or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Well, the second half of the NFL centennial season started with an absolute bang last weekend with 10, 10 thrilling last-second finishes, including arguably the game of the year so far between the Seahawks and the 49ers. And hey, I'll bet I have a feeling Week 10 only foreshadows just how wild of a ride these next seven weeks will be. Do you? I definitely agree, David. There are a lot of close races. There's a lot of teams that are looking at the playoffs as they turn the stretch here. And I think we're going to have a lot of great games and fantastic finishes to finish out the 2019 season as we get ready for that final turn. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And we're going to be talking about a lot of those divisional races momentarily. But first, let's start off with our Week 10 takeaways. And I'll go first here. So much for the fish take in Miami. The Miami Dolphins are now winners of two straight games, and their previous three losses have been by an average of eight points. Eight points. And this borderline bare cupboard of a roster is playing hard football, and that is a testament to the incredible job Brian Flores is doing as head coach. And the Dolphins must keep him for at least three more seasons because he has proved himself to be the guy to see this rebuild through. David, I agree. I think the the Dolphins uh, hit on a winner there at head coach, and there is no quit in this team. It was, uh, I agree with you. I thought the tank was on as well, but they have been surprising, surprising, surprising in Miami. They most certainly have. Then what was your main takeaway from Week 10? Uh, David, I think I'm in love with the Steelers' defense. Oh! What a performance last week. They are back in the playoff picture. No Ben Roethlisberger. Le'Veon Bell gone. Antonio Brown gone. And this is a defense first team that's just getting better and better and better as the season goes on. Devin Bush in the Ryan Chazier role. Uh, Joe Hayden's playing better at, at cornerback. Minka Fitzpatrick, the new Troy Palomalu in that defense. Bud Dupree, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, there's a pass rush. Terrell Edmonds, Mark Barron, there's speed everywhere. I am just head over heels with this Pittsburgh defense and how their coaches, defensive coordinator Kevin Butler, got this team back into the playoff race and making noise old style, old school in Pittsburgh. I couldn't agree more, my friend. Uh, as I said a couple weeks ago on this program, the Steel Curtain is back in Pittsburgh. And in the last uh, couple years, I was ridiculing the Steelers' defense on this program, calling them, oh, the polyester curtain. Nope, it's the <laughs> Steel Curtain again. And Mika Fitzpatrick is to thank in large part uh, for that. And I think uh, Mika Fitzpatrick has to be seriously considered for Defensive Player of the Year with how he's playing, don't you? Oh, I mean, he's changed that entire defense. Uh, just, you know, they found the right person in the right role. They took a risk going out and getting him and prying him away from Miami, and it has paid off 100% for the Steelers. 
Uh, yes, and uh, Matt Barr, who was with us last week, he says he doesn't think Mika Fitzpatrick should be seriously considered for Defensive Player of the Year. And while I think Nick Bosa is the front runner for that honor, I disagree with him, and I agree with you that uh, Mika Fitzpatrick has got to be squarely in the conversation right now because his play has just transformed that Steelers defense and that Steelers team in general, man. Like, uh, he brings, like, a whole new set of attitude and leadership to that team. Yeah, I mean, you can just see the change in that secondary. You see the way that Joe Hayden and, you know, these great players affect those players around them. They give them more confidence. They can play more aggressively because they know that they have Mika Fitzpatrick there and he's going to make a difference. And if they just tip the ball, they don't have to intercept it themselves. They know where that ball's landing and they're playing with a lot of confidence right now in Pittsburgh, especially that secondary. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And now let's go on to a special edition of our favorite game, Truth or Exaggeration. This is a division race edition. And in this edition of Truth or Exaggeration, we're going to break down four of the key divisional races that will take shape across these final seven weeks of the season. And uh, you determine whether it's the truth or whether it's an exaggeration. And we start in the AFC West. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs who currently stand at 6-4 and four of their remaining schedule. They travel to Mexico City this Monday night to play the Chargers, and then they have Week 12 off. Then they return home in Week 13 to play the Raiders. Then they go to Foxborough to play the Patriots. Then they return home for the Broncos. Then they go to Soldier Field to take on the Bears and finish at Arrowhead against the Chargers at Week 17. The Raiders at 5-4. and four. They have the Bagels at home this week. They play the Jets at that reeling dumpster fire next week. Then they face the Chiefs at Arrowhead for a pivotal Week 13 contest. Then they have two consecutive home contests between the Titans and the Jaguars. And then they conclude the season with two road trips. One to Carson to take on the Chargers, who might be out of the race by then. And in Week 17 against the Broncos, and you'll probably be seeing the Broncos playing most of their younger guys by then. And uh, so, truth or exaggeration, Hale, based on those schedules... The Raiders, they don't have a good chance to overtake the Chiefs and win the AFC West. They have an excellent chance to overtake the Chiefs and win the AFC West. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, David, I'm going to say exaggeration. Uh, Kansas City just has too much offense not to be in a 10-11 win team uh, with that remaining schedule. Oakland, I think best case scenario was a 9 or a 10 win team. I think they have a great chance to go after the wild card. But overtaking the Chiefs, ugh, not with that defense, Oakland. I'm sorry. I just don't see that happening. And there's just too much offense in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes back healthy and topping 400 yards passing each week again. I disagree, and here's why. The Chiefs' defense still can't stop a nosebleed on the ground, and the Raiders have <laughs> one of the best running backs in the game right now in Josh Jacobs, the clear front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So uh, if the Raiders just play ball control and keep Mahomes off the field like the Colts did a couple weeks ago, I think the Raiders have an excellent chance to win that Week 13 game and come away with the division. That's that's a bold truth there, David. I, I agree the Kansas City... Um, Defense, yes, that is pretty terrible as well. Um, but I just, you know, I, I think they're going to piece it together. I have a little more confidence that Kansas City and, uh, you know, figures something out here. 
on the defensive side to just be adequate behind Steve Spagnuolo versus Oakland that has so many young players and mismatched pieces on that defensive side. And Is Paul Gunther going to pull it together? Uh, I, I'm going to lean more towards the Chiefs figuring it out just because of their experience. That is a fair point. And now we move to the NFC North, where we look at the Packers, who currently occupy first place at 8-2. They're off this week. But then they travel to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers, and that game will be on Sunday Night Football, as was revealed yesterday by the league. Then they travel to MetLife to play the Giants. Easy win. Then they're home for two straight games against the Redskins and Bears. Both uh, should be wins. And then they... Travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings on Christmas Eve Eve. That is December 23rd, by the way. And that that, uh, is on Monday Night Football. And they conclude uh, the regular season in Detroit against the Lions. The Vikings, they have the Broncos at home this week. Then they go on a bye. Then they travel to Seattle to take on Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, on Monday Night Football. Then they return home, play the Lions. Then they go to Carson to take on the Chargers. And they play the Packers in that game I just mentioned that they conclude the regular season at home against the Bears. And if you look at both of those schedules, you could pinpoint uh, one losable game before they they meet uh, again in Minnesota. The Packers uh, next week against the 49ers and the Vikings against Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. So, truth or exaggeration, the NFC North battle will likely be decided when these two teams meet week 16. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's definitely a truth, David. I think these two teams are coming down to the wire. They're both um, playing well, much improved on defense these past couple weeks as well. Offense is obviously, um, you know, the Kirk Cousins experience has turned it around here after that tough start. I know after they got wiped out by the Bears, uh, you and I were both wondering, is is this the end of the the Kirk Cousins show here? And uh, they've certainly turned that around and they're legitimate, legitimate offensive team now. So I I agree with you. I think they each got one losable game and it's going to come down to that week 16, December 23rd. That's a definite truth. And how fitting that it's on Monday Night Football as well, man. The the scheduling gods uh, sent us uh, something great there, finally, on Monday Night Football. After several uh, games of underwhelming matchups, it'll conclude with arguably a battle that will determine who wins the NFC North. And let's talk about the NFC West, which looks up for grabs after last Monday's drilling finish in Santa Clara with the Seahawks topping the 49ers 27-24 in the final seconds of overtime. The 49ers have the Cardinals this week and the Packers next week, as I alluded to, both at home. Then it gets tough. Well, the Packers are tough too, but they have to go on the road after they play the Packers to play Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, and Drew Brees and the Saints at the Superdome. And then they return home to play the Falcons and Rams, which should be wins, and in Week 17... They go to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. And the Seahawks, they have a bye. Then they go play the Eagles in Philadelphia next week. Then they return home to play the Vikings, as I alluded to. Then two consecutive road games against the Rams and against the Panthers. And a two-game homestand to close up the year against the Cardinals in Week 16. And as I just mentioned, the 49ers in Week 17. So, truth or exaggeration, whoever wins the Week 17 matchup, will win the NFC West. Truth or exaggeration? Well, I, I, 
I, I'm going to have to say it, it's a truth with a caveat there because I think by then um, going into that game, Seattle may uh, already have quite an advantage over San Francisco. You know, uh, they certainly had a had a pitched battle with the 49ers, and we love that defense as well. But but that offense looked out of sync, and you have to wonder, you know, when is George Kittle going to be coming back? Um, and the impact that has on that 49ers offense there. So it's interesting to see, but I'm going to say, you know, it is a truth because that, that is going to be a big game, but I think Seattle may just be trying to hold on to their lead in the NFC West by the end of the season there, that week 17 battle, David. Oh, I, I agree there, but I also think the 49ers are going to be healthier by then and still have a legitimate chance to win the division by winning that game as well. Well, you got a good point there as well, because if they if they get the health and, you know, if we turn around and say, well, that Jimmy Garoppolo performance was just a hiccup under the bright lights, stranger things have happened, and they start, you know, dropping 35, 40 points again with that uh, Shanahan offense. Well, we could certainly be singing a different tune at that point, but but that stretch of Packers at Ravens at Saints, that's a tough three-game stretch that's going to tell us a lot about this 49ers team and if they're for real or not as the Super Bowl contender coming out of the NFC. Totally. The Seahawks definitely have an advantage with that slightly easier schedule going forward, but we shall see. And last but not least, the NFC East. And given their easier schedule down the stretch, the Eagles should be at least slightly favored to win the NFC East. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, I'm going to give it a truth there as well. I I, I think Dallas and Philadelphia, uh, I, I, those still two teams I just can't quite figure out. Uh, you never know which one of them is going to show up. You know, Philadelphia loses by 20-something points to the Cowboys, turns around, you know, and punches the Buffalo Bills in the face on the road by 20-something points winning there. So I don't know what's coming out of either one of those teams. Uh, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, I mean, that could be the stretch that Philadelphia is able to put it away and uh, take the NFC East there. I'm going to say it's the truth. They're the favorites over Dallas right now to emerge. And another big reason why I think the Eagles should be favored over the Cowboys, the Cowboys have laid an egg against teams with winning records this season. And uh, their Sunday night game against Minnesota, you could argue, yeah, they should have won that, but blame the bad coaching for taking the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands at the worst possible time. Oh, my God. Jason Garrett, the clock is ticking, man. You got to wake up. This could be the end for you. And the Eagles, at least they... uh, not only did they beat the Bills, they beat the Packers at Lambeau Field. So at least the Eagles have shown that they can hang with these uh, above 500 teams that the Cowboys haven't. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Dallas and, you know, any tough game that's been on there, um, they just haven't been able to pull it out, it seems like. You know, uh, beating up on the Giants, the Dolphins, the Redskins. Um I mean that that's been their season so far. So they've they've really got to go through the crucible and get some quality wins before we start believing that Dallas is anything other than at best a wild card contender. And now let's preview our game of the week where Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans fresh off a bye and in first place in the AFC South 
Travel to Baltimore to take on MVP candidate Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. So that's easily the game of the week. I just do not know why the NFL didn't flex this into Sunday night this week. We get a, a struggling Bears team and a struggling Rams team. I don't give a damn how big those media markets are. Why didn't the NFL flex this game into Sunday night this week? I'll never know. Do you, Hal? Uh, I don't know either unless, you know, um, who's got this game? This is a CBS game. Maybe yeah. this is one of those games that they circled and said, do not touch. We're going to invoke whatever rights we have in our contract. Stay away. That's the only thing I can see is, is that CBS somehow got the air of the NFL and said, you cannot steal this game from us. That has that had to be the case because if it wasn't, the NFL, I think, made a big, big mistake oh, because definitely. you're talking about two of the top five quarterbacks in the game right now in Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. Now, this is going to be a very, very fun game. And the Texans uh, last played a couple weeks ago against the Jaguars, and they did an excellent job in that game, minus J.J. Watt. But now they face Lamar Jackson and that monstrous Ravens ground attack. And don't you have tremendous concern that the absences of both J.J. Watt and Jadeveon Cloudy will be felt big time in this game? Yeah, I mean, that that's the big Achilles heel going forward for Houston is, you know, by letting Clowney go, you put the faith in can J.J. Watt stay healthy? And once he's been gone, you're kind of looking at, well, you know, things aren't quite the same with that Houston defense as we've gotten used to in the past. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, Whitney Merciless and then, well, what else do you got behind them there, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's like Whitney Merciless and a bunch of no-names, not just on that defensive line, but uh, in that secondary as well. Yeah, Justin Reed's a promising young player, but uh, that secondary is a makeshift unit right now, and they're, they're just claiming all these uh, cast-offs off the waiver wire to, to try to put it together still. Yeah, when you when you start seeing him grabbing Gary and Conley, that's never a good sign for your defense right there. That's for sure. And they just picked up Vernon Hargraves today, who was oh. uh, the 11th overall pick in 2016. And Bruce Arian said it wasn't a problem letting him go, even though that Buccaneer secondary is garbage. He didn't mind letting that first-round bust go. Definitely not a good sign going up against Lamar Jackson for this Texas defense. But this Ravens defense, on the other hand, they did do a tremendous job a few weeks ago against Russell Wilson. But what makes Deshaun Watson and this Texas offense just as difficult for them to defend, if not more difficult to defend? Well, I, I think the the biggest thing with that that Houston has is, you know, with Watson back there, he has that that one weapon that it doesn't matter if he's covered or not. If he can force that ball into DeAndre Hopkins, he can put the ball where nobody else on the planet can catch it other than Hopkins. And that's such a huge advantage for that offense is having that one transcendent player at the wide receiver position. Hopkins is still that player. And even with the extra attention that's given to him, you can see in the crunch time, there's nobody he's looking for other than number 10 out there. Yes, and also the Texans have the speed that the Seahawks have at wide receiver. Seahawks obviously have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and now Josh Gordon, but the Ravens also cannot underestimate uh, Will Fuller or Kenny Stills. Exactly. And, and you know, the amazing thing coming out of Houston, probably the biggest surprise on that offense, has been veteran blocking tight end Darren Fells, who was basically a blocker for 
seven, eight years in the league, and all of a sudden he's become basically out of necessity. They don't have anybody else at tight end, but he's been a significant factor in the passing game and has six receiving touchdowns. Oh, especially in the red zone. Uh, they're going to look yeah. for number 87 at his big body in the red zone. So that is a mismatch the uh, Ravens uh, cannot discount either. And uh, what are some game-deciding matchups you're watching for in this game? Well, I, I, I think first and foremost is, you know, how how is that Ravens, Ravens secondary going to take away those receivers for Houston? I mean, that's... That's a huge matchup. We talked about uh, two weeks ago that Ravens secondary and how improved that is now, how much better that unit has gotten um, with the return to health of some key players there, such as Jimmy Smith back in that and just that domino effect. So you're going to put Jimmy Smith on him. Are you going to have him cover Hopkins man up? Are they going to double team him? And you still have Marlon Humphrey, who's had a great year uh, at cornerback so far and the veteran Brandon Carr moving more into a secondary position back there. So so that's one big matchup there. Can they uh, stay with those Houston speedy receivers, and can they somehow uh, blanket DeAndre Hopkins and take away that first option and uh, you know make things more difficult for Watson in that passing game? That was a matchup I was looking forward to as well, and you forgot a key name in that Baltimore secondary, Marcus Peters, who they acquired yes. from trade uh, from the Rams a few weeks ago. And uh, ever since uh, Marcus Peters got traded to the Ravens and the Rams acquired Jalen Ramsey to replace him, statistically Marcus Peters has been the better player. Uh, he's had two defensive touchdowns since he came to Baltimore, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, and somebody else uh, doubling up on DeAndre Hopkins and... Uh, if uh, Deshaun Watson gets a little greedy, uh, Marcus Peters uh, can bait him into a key turnover. A great point there, David. And, and like we had talked about previously as well, you know, Peters, once you take him out of that number one cornerback role, is so much stronger and such a weapon, not having to go up against that, that top receiver every week and being able to freelance a little bit makes him in that much better out there at cornerback. Yes, and another key matchup, and this is why my prediction is what it is, uh, that Texas defensive line minus J.J. Watt and Genevieve Cloudy going up against that Ravens offensive line. Ravens arguably have one of the top five offensive lines in the NFL right now. Got to love Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown, easily a top uh, five tackle combination. Uh, Matt Skura, their setter, he is, uh, has turned out to be unbelievable for them. The Ravens just know how to develop offensive linemen. And, uh, if the Texans defensive line doesn't rise to the challenge against them, especially in the run game, it could be a long day for the Houston Texans. Who do you have winning the battle of Deshaun Watson against Lamar Jackson? Part one. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to go with Houston. I think the offense will find a way to make the points work for them um it's going to be a close one it's going to come down to probably one or two big plays but i just see houston uh just deshaun watson pulls it out one way or another 30 to 24 over the ravens i wanted to pick the texans as well but that mismatch between that Texans defensive line against that Ravens offensive line, especially the Texans down Watt and obviously Clowney as well, I think is going to be the difference in this game. The 
the Ravens are going to just ground and pound early and often and keep the ball away from Deshaun Watson company for as long as they possibly can. It's going to be a close game, but in the end, I have Baltimore eking out a 28-24 victory on Sunday. And now let's go to the fantasy football segment of our program back after a one-week hiatus with our favorite game called Waiver Wire Gemmer Garbage. And the Fu Minchu is going back to the bench in Jacksonville and back onto the field comes Nick Foles. But from a fantasy perspective, is he a Waiver Wire Gem or Waiver Wire Garbage? That's a tough one there because we really didn't get a very big sample of Nick Foles with Jacksonville this year. Um, I can't put him as a gem right now. I just don't think there's a big enough sample size. I mean, uh, I don't even think he threw 10 passes before he went out injured here. And, you know, we saw Minshew and what he could do and, and some of that chemistry he developed. Uh, DJ Shark there as well. Uh, Chris Conley having a, a a better season than expected as well. I'm, I'm going to have to put... I just can't put Foles as a gem right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep him in the garbage and let him try to prove me wrong. But with that offense, he doesn't have the weapons around him he would have had in Philadelphia, and I don't think he's going to come back and hit the ground running um, and be worthy of starting in your fantasy team at this point. That's more than fair, Hal. And we go to Atlanta where Devontae Freeman will be out for a couple weeks most likely. And the pride of Belvedere, Illinois, Brian Hill will likely take his place as the go-to guy in that backfield. So Brian Hill, waiver wire gem or garbage? Well, I think I think I'm gonna have to go with a gem here with Hill just because I think Atlanta is realizing halfway through the season that you know you're gonna have to run the ball whether you want to or not with your offensive system here. Um, Edo Smith is just is a change of pace back. He's not going to be the answer. He's and not he's, going to on he's on IR. He's on IR. He's out already. So yeah. you're out of options there in, in Atlanta. So Brian Hill, he's going to get the touches. They, they criminally underused Devonta Freeman while he was healthy, just not giving him the ball and opportunity enough. Um, I, I think with the season on the line, for this, this coaching staff, they've got to be stronger in the second half of the season. So we're going to see them work to establish the run and try to get their defense to win a few games, kind of like they did last week in that surprising upset. So I would say Brian Hill, keep him as a gem right now. Darius Geis is looking to return very soon for the Redskins in that backfield. Darius Geis, waiver wire, gem or garbage? 32nd ranked offense in Washington right now. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to take too many carries away from, uh, you know, uh, that group that's already there. He's fighting through the Wendell Smallwoods, Chris Thompson, if he's healthy. Yeah, yeah it, it's just a mess there. They should be giving him the rock and seeing what he can do in the second half. That would be the smart thing to do if, if you're – an NFL team that's one and eight, but when is Washington going to do the smart thing? I don't think I have enough uh, trust that, you know, interim head coach Bill Callahan is going to be smart enough to, to keep, to, to evaluate him the way that he should going forward. So I'm going to say he's going to end up as garbage, even though he should be a gem. Good point there. 
And if there's a beneficiary in that Jaguars passing game from the return of Nick Foles, it could be D.D. Westbrook, who was Foles' uh, favorite target in preseason and in week one until he got hurt. Waiver wire jabber garbage for D.D. Westbrook. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm going to have to go with the gem there because, like we talked about, you know, the without the the uh, Fu Manchu there, all that chemistry he'd built up with those wide receivers is gone. And if Foles is going to throw to any, he's going to have to go to that that one that one guy that he's comfortable with left over from the preseason. I mean, remember this is a new team for him as well. So, D.D. Westbrook, I would expect he would be seeing. Uh, stealing targets away from from Conley and Chark as well. So, yeah, go with him as a gem, definitely. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a very promising rookie wide receiver in Deontay Johnson. Waiver wire gem or garbage? Oh, yeah, Deontay Johnson's out there. Scoop him up. I think he's a definite gem. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is been good but not great this year, thrust into the number one role for the first time. Uh, James Washington, we're seeing some growth there, but I really like what I've seen out of Deontay Johnson. Um, he's certainly not available in my in my league, I can tell you that, because he's already been scooped up by yours truly. So definitely, waiver wire gem right there in Deontay Johnson. Trust the Steelers when it comes to picking wide receivers in the draft and take the their current rookie uh, in your fantasy leagues, folks. Nobody knows wide receivers better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it looks like Russell Wilson has a new friend of the passing game. No, I'm not talking about Josh Gordon. I'm talking about former New England Patriot Jacob Hollister. They were clearly missing Will Disley in a couple games after Disley went down with a season-ending injury. And Jacob Hollister was an unsung hero for the Seahawks on Monday night in San Francisco. So Jacob Hollister, waiver wire gem or garbage? Yeah, I mean, they're looking for him in the red zone. So until Russell Wilson starts looking at somebody else there, I would definitely say Hollister, definitely a gem. What's that, three touchdowns in the last two games? Scoop him up if you have that need at tight end. And another potential option at tight end, since the Broncos traded away Emmanuel Sanders, Noah Fant's targets have gone up astronomically, and he delivered a couple weeks ago with the best performance of his rookie season with a three-catch, 115-yard, one-touchdown performance over the Cleveland Browns. Granted, uh, given he's a rookie and he plays tight end, there are going to be ups and downs with him, but uh, you can do far worse than Noah Fant if somebody else gets Jacob Hollister. So Noah Fant, waiver wire gem or garbage? Oh, definitely go with the gem on this young, um, you know, he's a first round pick for a reason. He certainly has that talent and Denver, they've got nothing to lose other than to see what they've got out of these young players there uh, receiving the ball. So definitely put him on as a gem and let him see what he does with those targets he gets. And now let's predict the rest of these Week 11 games, starting with Thursday night's matchup at the Dog Pound at Cleveland, where the Pittsburgh Steelers and that new steel curtain travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns, who are coming off a must-win over the Buffalo Bills last week. And uh, as good as that win was for the Browns, I still do not trust Freddie Kitchens and the, this Browns offense, especially this Browns offensive line against the Steelers front. Not a chance. It's going to be a long night for Baker Mayfield and company. Uh, and I think the score ends up being closer than it really is, though. 20-13 to 13 Steelers. Yeah, I don't even think it'll be that close. I think the Steelers are just going to take apart that Browns 
offense piece by piece and to put them to three to seven to go into Cleveland on prime time and do that. Uh, these guys are going to be feeling it. I have it Pittsburgh 29, Cleveland 10. The Buffalo Bills coming off a worrisome defeat at Cleveland travel to Miami to take on the Red Hot Dolphins. And believe it or not, I'm going to take the Dolphins in this game because I just do not trust this Buffalo Bills offense right now. Josh Allen just continues to justify my skepticism about him uh, during the 2018 draft process. And uh, it's going to be an ugly, low-scoring defensive game. But the Dolphins and Brian Flores, they've taken on a similar mentality as the Bills have with Sean McDermott, a tough, hard-nosed team that plays good defense. I expect the Dolphins to, to do so as well. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick gets the last laugh over his former team in this one as the Dolphins eke out a 16-13 win over the Bills. Ooh, that is bold, David. I would like to see that happen. I, I really would. I, I'd love to see Miami put together a three-game winning streak here. But I just can't see that offense and Ryan Fitzpatrick moving the ball consistently against that strong Buffalo defense, even at home here. And I have Buffalo in an ugly one, pulling it out 17-13. to 13. The two worst franchises in the NFL, the two worst run franchises, that is, the New York Jets traveling to D.C. to take on the Redskins. Oh, two dumpster fires. Hold your nose, people. But at the end of the day, I am going to go with the better young quarterback in Sam Darnold and the Jets pulling off a second consecutive win over the Redskins in a 31-24 game. Yeah, this is a game the Jets should win on the road. So that's why I'm picking Washington. 19-16, to 16, pulling it out over the Jets. We have uh, differed on most of our predictions so far. And I think we might be simpatico here, though. The Cowboys traveling to the Motor City to take on the Lions. And it looks like uh, Matthew Stafford will not play again this week. And Jeff Driscoll will get the start again. The Dallas Cowboys win this one 31-17. to 17. Yeah, I, I, you know, you know, I love that Detroit team. That they're building that team right through the offensive and defensive lines. But if Matt Stafford played, I could say this could be a great upset special. But nope, not going to happen. They'll keep it close, but fall short in the end. Dallas twenty-eight, Detroit twenty-four. The Denver Broncos travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings in a rematch with their former head coach, Gary Kubiak, who took them to Super Bowl 50 and won in one of the most beautiful coaching jobs I ever seen. But now Gary Kubiak is the mastermind behind the resurgence of this Minnesota Vikings offense. And Vic Fangio has had the Broncos competitive in almost every game this season, and he's proven to be the guy to see that rebuild through long term. But I think the Broncos are overdue again for a game in which their uh, lack of talent on the roster gets exposed against a roster with far more talent than them. Vikings win it 31-7, to not even close. Yeah, I, I get it a little bit closer, but, but I think Minnesota is clicking right now on offense, and it should be a fairly easy win. I have it 24-16 to for Minnesota. Ooh, that's much closer than I think it's going to be. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts on a two-game losing streak host Nick Foles and the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. And I just don't see Frank a Frank Wright coach team in the Colts dropping three straight, especially if Jacoby Brissett returns. The Indianapolis Colts, I think, eke out a tough 23-20 win. 
Yeah, I, I think Indianapolis with Brissett back, definitely. I mean, Jacksonville, like we talked about, it's kind of a wild card. We don't really know what we're getting out of Nick Foles, but uh, I see Indy winning it pretty handily, 28-17. to 17. The Atlanta Falcons, fresh off that stunning, dominating victory over the Saints at the Superdome last week. They travel to Carolina to take on the Panthers, who are at 5-4, and four, and the, I think the Panthers' playoff season starts early. The, every game is a must-win for the Panthers in this uh, insanely deep NFC. The Panthers are probably going to have to win out to get in, and I have the Panthers uh, winning this game, uh, let's say, 27-20. Yeah, pretty close there, David. I've got it. Uh, Carolina, I think the game is going to be uh, closer than we expect. Atlanta is playing hard, but going into Carolina, not an easy task for them. I've got Carolina 23-20 to over Atlanta. Yes, I expect more of that Falcons defense that we saw before last week to show up uh, this week against Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers. And meanwhile, the New Orleans Saints, after that uh, dud... Against the Falcons last week, they traveled to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers, who are fresh off their third win of the season. But I just do not see the Saints dropping too straight to inferior opponents. They're just way too talented. Uh, The Buccaneers keep it close for a while, but the Saints, I think, pull away in the end, 28-17 New Orleans. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I I think that was just a hiccup last week with New Orleans. I think they'll get back on track. I think the Tampa Bay defense is perfect for them to get back on track. And I see them blowing out Tampa Bay 38-24. The 49ers, uh, one week removed from that Monday Night Heartbreaker against the Seahawks. They host Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Kyler Murray's been playing some very good football lately and showing you why he was the number one overall pick in the 2019 draft, but uh, the 49ers should get back at least one of Emmanuel Sanders or George Kittle in this game, and I think that'll be enough, plus that amazing defense that played their hearts out against Russell Wilson. Don't let the final score fool you. The 49ers still played an excellent game. They played Russell Wilson better than any defense has so far this season, in my opinion, and the 49ers uh, come away with a, let's say, 26-16 to victory. You know, it's tough for a team when you're undefeated for half the season to to lose that first game and then have to turn it around that next week. I think there's going to be a little bit of a hangover in San Francisco this week, and uh, I'm going to go with my upset special. Arizona pulls it out at the end, 28-27. to 27. Whoa, that's a good upset special, Hal. And your New England Patriots travel to Philly to take on the Eagles in a Super Bowl 52 rematch. I just think this is a get-well game for Tom Brady and the offense. Uh, that The Patriots defense that we saw before they ran into the Lamar Jackson show is going to show up big time. And that Eagles secondary can't even cover a blanket, for crying out loud. I think Tom Brady and the Patriots roll the Eagles 31-14. to Sound that simpatico alert there, David. I we are both thinking the same thing. It's almost exact. Uh, I've got it New England 31-16 to 16 over Philadelphia as well. Um, yeah, I, I expect New England to bounce back after the bye week, and we'll see if they can get that running game going as well against that Philadelphia defense and open up the passing attack. The lone winless team remaining in the National Football League, the Cincinnati Bengals, traveled to the Black Hole to take on the red-hot 
Oakland Raiders, dare I say. And uh, this game is my lock of the week. The Raiders are young, they're hungry, and they're learning how to win. And John Gruden isn't going to allow a letdown after that uh, hard-fought win against the Chargers. Plus, they've had more time to prepare for this than the Bagels have. Uh, Bagels, I think they're busting for Burrow, dare I say. And that's going to continue successfully for them <laughs> as they lose to the Raiders 31-14. to yeah, I, I think if you if we had talked and we said, you know, Cincinnati's got a chance to be historically bad this year. They might only win one game. I think we would have looked at it and flipped a coin between the Raiders and the Dolphins before the season started. But now, no, not going to happen with Oakland. I think they should roll fairly easy. And I've got them winning handily 34-10 to 10 over Cincinnati. Sunday Night Football brings us... A contest of two mega disappointing teams as the disappointing Chicago Bears travel to the Coliseum in L.A. to take on the disappointing Los Angeles Rams. Uh, this game is going to be ugly and low scoring. Uh, I, I do not trust the Bears offense. What Trubisky saw in those flashes last week against that horrendous Detroit pass defense was a mirage. But Jared Goff and that banged up Rams offensive line going up against that still formidable Bears front. Uh, that... Uh, is going to be tough as well, but in the end, I got to go with the home team, Rams, in an ugly one, 17-13. Yeah, I've got it an ugly one as well here. Uh, I'm just picking the Bears. I just think they'll find a way to pull it out. There's just something wrong with that Rams offense. It is just not clicking right. Um, I'll say Chicago 24-20 to over the Rams. And last but not least, from Estadio Azteca on Monday Night Football in Mexico City, the Kansas City Chiefs host, uh, I mean, face off with the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are the de facto home team there, my mistake. And this is the Chargers season right here. Lose this game. I don't care if you get Derwin James back in Week 13. Lose this game. Your season is most likely over. The Chargers are likely going to have to run the table and go 10-6 to have a shot at one of those wildcard spots or the division. And I actually have the Chargers winning this game because I still do not trust this Chiefs defense. I believe that Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler will be running the football very well, keeping Patrick Mahomes on the sideline for just enough as the Chargers eke out a 30-27 victory over the Chiefs. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those, if, if you like offense in the NFL, this is the game for you. Um, you know, I don't know what that over-under set at, but if it's less than 70, you should be taking it, taking the over. So um, I've got Kansas City. I'm just not going to bet against Mahomes here. Uh, I think he'll find a way to put up just enough points to make it happen. But I agree, this is pretty much it for the Chargers right here. They've got to win here and turn this season around. But I don't think they're going to do it. Kansas City, 44 Chargers 34. And now it's time for our bowl predictions for week 11. I will go first. And we're going to talk about that Steelers defense again. Mika Fitzpatrick. And for anybody who still says he doesn't deserve to be squarely in the conversation for defensive player of the year, he is going to pick off Baker Mayfield not once, not twice, but three times. Mika Fitzpatrick with three Ooh. interceptions tomorrow night in Cleveland as the Steelers beat the Browns. What is your bold prediction for Week 11, Hal? So my bold prediction, I, I predict it. I'm going to tie this into Kyler Murray here, who's had uh, such a you know great rookie season and this upset that I'm predicting over the 49ers. 
I'm going to see 28 points. That's four touchdowns, three through the air for Kyler Murray, one on the ground. He's going to top 300 yards passing against the number two defense in the NFL, plus add another 100-plus yards on the ground and demolish on the road this 49ers defense with a little bit of a hangover. So Kyler Murray, my bold prediction, four touchdowns, over 400 yards of total offense. And now it's time for our challenge flags. Hale, who does your challenge flag go to for Week 11? Well, we talked about them earlier in the show as well, and that's John Gruden and these Oakland Raiders. They are looking in the standings just a half game back at Kansas City right now. And if your prediction is right and the Chargers win, they could be in first place next week. Oakland, your defense stinks. Your offense is average, but David went over your schedule earlier in the season. You've got a possibility to finish 10-6, and six, and if not win the division, at least grab one of those wild card rounds. Is there anything that could be better for the NFL than to see the Silver and Black back in the playoffs in their final season in Oakland? I want to see it. John Gruden, come on, make it happen. Good challenge there, and my challenge flag goes to the Los Angeles Rams. And Rams, every game from here on out for you is a playoff game. Either you come clean about Todd Gurley's health once and for all, or feed him 20 touches per game. Yeah, uh, you're saying you're trying to keep Todd Gurley fresh for the playoffs. The playoffs are now, Rams, so now is the time to feed Todd Gurley like a workhorse back. I don't care about his arthritic knee now. Feed him 20 times per game because he gives your offense the best chance to succeed even on that knee. So, Rams, feed Todd Gurley or come clean about his health. That is my challenge for Week 11. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And you can check his workout at FullPressCoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan at MusketFire.com. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview Week 12 of this 2019 NFL season, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash sports crunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrob 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.